This is Futurecast 101. This is Futurecast 101. for Futurecast 101, a student project of the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University. Today's topic is neuroimaging in the criminal justice system. So to begin, we will answer what is neuroimaging. Neuroimaging is a technology that is giving insight into what the brain looks like as a result of stressors or trauma. Many scientists are beginning to draw a correlation between these stressors and likelihood of crime. This is interesting to study because of the influence the brain has on activity and decision making. Researchers were beginning to study the brain and find that alterations made to the brain may be influencing the activity of criminals. So the question to look at is how will neuroimaging change the future of court evidence and what will be the significance of this change? As more research goes into neuroimaging, it will provide an alternate solution to imprisonment but there may also be a cost to accepting these neuroimages as evidence, which will be discussed later. Neuroscience developments in the future, specifically neuroimaging, will provide more evidence for defendants as well as propose an explanation for the reasons behind crime, and therefore decrease crime rates and the amount of people incarcerated. Neuroimaging technology is going to allow researchers to study the brain and find a connection between aspects of the brain and how they can tie to crime. So as we begin to understand the brain better, we'll be able to understand why um, humans or criminals may perform specific actions. And this is important to study because of the insight it provides on intent and causality of why a human may do something. All right, so let's get into the different types of scans that can provide neuroimages. I'm going to explain four of the new types, which will illustrate physical changes, chemical abnormalities, electrical activity, and the overall mental health of criminals. The first scan is the MRI, or magnetic resonance imaging. This scan is black and white and focuses on anatomical features of the brain. It's also one of the more common scans. And this one can can illustrate physical trauma. Um, And then this can be tied because if we understand how a certain region of the brain is responsible for a certain emotion or um, possible function, then damage to this could change um, behavior and result in different activities that somebody may not have usually done. The second type of scan is the fMRI. fMRI stands for Functional Magnetic Resonance Imaging. This scan illustrates through the scale of colors ranging from orange to yellow um, how different chemical levels are within the brain. If we understand the function and reaction of a specific chemical, it could possibly be understood about how an abnormal amount of this could lead to violent or criminal behavior. The next type of scan is the positron emission topography, which is also known as the PET scan, which demonstrates levels of activity through different colors. Uh, This is one of the brightest and most colorful scans. And then once again, by understanding what different regions of the brain code for, we could understand how higher levels of activity um, could influence action and behavior. And the last type of scan is the EEG, otherwise known as the electroencephalography. This focuses on electrical activity. By showing which areas of the brain are being used the most, it can be understood what happens during decision making. So by seeing how a specific region of the brain um, has more electrical activity, we could see that it has more function, which may result in aggressive or violent behavior. All of these scans provide detailed evidence 
of a trauma or abnormality in the brain. And these abnormalities can lead to aggressive or criminal behavior because they change the decision-making process and actions of an individual. So this is explained by the first statistic from the journal titled The Criminal Psychopath, History, Neuroscience, Treatment, and Economics, that says mental illness is between 2 and 2.5 times more common in AIDS than compared to the rest of the population. And this is significant to study and to understand because if uh, mental health illnesses are more prevalent in people that are in prisons or criminals, then it gives us a reason of understanding why this is more common there. Um, and a possibility to understand this would be through neuroimaging. So the connection between neuroscience and crime is becoming stronger as more neuroimaging techniques provide images for defendants. Um, one example is seen in the story of a man who originally was a father and then had urges to look at child pornography. So he was soon arrested and then sentenced to go into treatment. Um, he had many failed attempts at treatment and never could really get through, so it was issued that he had to go take a brain scan. So an fMRI brain scan was taken and it showed that there were abnormal levels of chemicals located in his limbic system and this was causing him to have these thoughts. So he was given treatment and the chemicals levels began to return to normal and he was cured of these urges. This is a very common trend shown um, in many prisons and this can be demonstrated by an experiment that was performed by um, and then recorded in the Journal of Psychology and Human Sexuality, in which they had an experiment in that they took 96 mentally ill offenders of a high-security prison and then had um, them all undergo an MRI scan. Um, the number of sex offenders in that group was 62.5%, and of those, the high-violent sex offender group showed an MRI abnormality rate of 59.4, whereas the low-violent showed an uh, abnormality of 22.2%. This is important to look at because in just one type of brain scan of those mentally ill offenders, over half, 62.5%, showed an abnormality. And this was just with one type of brain scan. Um, some of the other criminals may have had a different abnormality that was causing this. So imagine if this process was repeated with many other brain scans. Um, those percentages would only increase and more abnormalities would be found. There's also the case of a man named Charles Whitman who was the mass shooter at the University of Texas in 1966. So he began off where he was very normal and very smart, um, athletic, popular guy that many people liked. He ended up joining the Marines, uh, where he went into combat. He became a very decorated officer, won a lot of awards, um, and everything in his life was seeming to be normal. After a little period of time, he began. he got married and began to continue to earn badges but after a while became very violent and aggressive with his wife. Um, he began feeling physical symptoms such as headaches um, and his behavior just became very irrational and abnormal. After a while he was forced to go see a therapist um, where he admit feeling that he admitted feeling that he was troubled um, and had problems and he also ha said that he had vivid images of shooting people um, and basically very violent behavior. After talking about this, he ended up going after the therapy session um, where he went to his mother's house and he killed her, stabbing her five times. And he left a note saying like he loved her and he did not understand why he did this and that he just felt that he had to. He then went to his wife's house where he proceeded to do the same thing. He stabbed her five times and then left a note 
saying this. I imagine it appears that I brutally killed both of my loved ones. I was only trying to do a quick, thorough job. If my life insurance policy is valid, please pay off my debts. Donate the rest anonymously to a mental health foundation. Maybe research can prevent further tragedies of this type. So this is very significant because it shows how he could feel that there was something wrong um, and that something just wasn't right with his brain. Um, even though he loved his family, he ended up stabbing two people that he loved really dearly. Um, after this, he then climbed a tower and mass shot about 14 people. And he was caught and then um, killed and an autopsy was performed and they found that he had a tumor on his hypothalamus and the hypothalamus is um, in the area of the brain that's involved in fear and aggression. So Charles could feel that there was something wrong and he knew what he was doing was wrong but he couldn't stop himself. This tumor caused him to become aggressive even though that was not his personality. So imagine if Charles would have been able to have been issued a brain scan by the therapist. They possibly could have caught the tumor and this whole thing could have been prevented. Um, in the Journal of Neuroscience has the power to change the criminal justice system, Kara Altimus explains that nearly 7 million people were incarcerated or under the supervision of the criminal justice system in the United States. Of those incarcerated, the Department of Justice estimates that more than half have mental health problems. And this is just showing how even with people like Charles, um, there are a lot of criminals that have mental health conditions that are also in prisons right now. So in cases like Charles, he showed early signs of this. He could have gotten a scan and this it could have been prevented. And this treatment options could also be provided to people that are in the criminal justice system because um, it would mainly impact them. So this is obviously a big step and a change for how evidence and treatment are provided for criminals today. But there is proof that the law will begin to change in accordance to this new technology. Courts are beginning to accept the evidence, um, even as early of cases as 2012, um, when the first type of this evidence was used. Many courts are pushing for this evidence to be used because the human mind is already known to be a major factor um, in many court cases. Although the evidence may not be beneficial for all cases, such as robbery or smaller scale crimes, it will be very beneficial for those involving action and quick decision making. This would be especially relevant in murder or high violent cases. In lower violent cases, there may not be as much emotion being stemmed from abnormal brain function. But if the courts continue on this trend that they are now and continue to accept the neuroimages as evidence, then more people will be able to receive proper treatment and avoid jails. If neuroimages are accepted, then people would avoid going to jail since jails are very ineffective. And this is explained by the National Institute of Justice that states that in a time period of three years after prisoners were released, about two-thirds became repeat offenders. So this is illustrating that for many people, criminal activity may originate from another problem. And by receiving treatment, we could lower the amount of people who are likely to recommit a crime because we could catch the chemical or uh, mental abnormality that is causing them to perform this behavior. So neuroimages would be a preventative tool to lowering crime rates and saving taxpayers money because prisons cost consumers tremendously. According to Robert Blank, author of Intervention in the Brain, 
Criminal activity costs taxpayers about $1 trillion, making criminal behavior a costly large-scale social problem and critical target for scientific investigation. This money of being allocated to prison costs could be given to offer treatment and prevention to crime, as well as saving taxpayers from the burden they face of criminal damages as well as prison costs. In the future, with this technology, we could expect lower crime rates, less money being allocated to prisons, and an overall safer community as high crime is lowered. The evidence is very convincing so far, and further developments in technology will only help tie the connection more. For now, there are ethical concerns raised with these practices. So the first concern is the cost for treatment for some of the criminals. It would be difficult to find a way for these people to receive treatment, um, and preferential treatment may be provided for those who have more money. Um, it also could be a problem because many people who experience um, that chemical abnormalities from environmental stressors um, are, is a result of growing up in poverty. And if they're growing up in poverty and living in that, they will not probably be able to afford medical treatment or neuroimages as evidence in court cases. There is also concern with preventative imaging. So this may involve people receiving brain scans who are deemed at risk, even if they may not commit a crime in their entire life. Um, and then the last concern is using neuroimages as court evidence so for someone's innocence. So if the neuroimages are used, then many juries may deem the evidence as legit because it has the name of neuroscience um, and they may disregard the other evidence of the case and just focus on the um, neuroimaging, which can be misconstrued possibly. So there may be swayed verdicts and possible incorrect verdicts reached because of the false data provided. But overall, the future is opening up and possibilities to help others that were unthinkable before. Neuroimaging is one of the developing fields that is receiving more attention because of its connection to criminal activity. This includes MRI, fMRI, PET, and EEG scans. These new tools are allowing for not only pictures of the anatomy of the brain, but the chemicals and other functions as well. These images provide a clearer understanding of decision making and how the brain results uh, in personality or actions. The abnormalities seen in images give clues to what emotions are attributed to what features of the brain. These images can be used in court cases because proofs changes made to the brain can result in criminal activity. These changes can cause a person to become violent or do things that they would not do if they had not experienced a change in brain function. This is important to study because of the substantial change it could provide for society. By monitoring the youth or at-risk people, preventative measures could be taken. Imaging scans could provide evidence of people who may possibly commit a crime, particularly focused on repeat offenders. This could lower crime rates in the future and save society economically. There are ethical concerns with the practices, but the chance that this provides is convincing. The connection between neuroimaging and crime provides a way for preventative measures to be taken against rising crime rates, which could offer a better solution than incarceration and more effective results could be seen. This has been Maddie Weiss with Futurecast 101. Thanks for listening. This is Futurecast 101. This is Futurecast 101.